Another inspiring message from Pastor John Cameron, Senior Pastor of Arise Church in New Zealand. We know this message will encourage, inspire and empower you. All right, Jeremiah chapter 29, 11. Many people don't even need a Bible for this verse. And it says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. God speaking to the Israelites in the middle of a season of real difficulty and challenge, in captivity, in turmoil, in every kind of adverse circumstance you can imagine, declares an amazing verse of Scripture right into the midst of their experience. I know the plans I have for you. This verse has become an anthem the sound of our generation of Christians, that the God that we serve is the God who has a plan for us. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and plans to give you a future. Those of you who know me would know that I am a person who has taken up the sport of road cycling. I've joined the Lycra Club. I regularly adorn adorn the honesty suit. (laughs) Wearing lycra, you know, being a road cyclist, it's just, you know, it's just preparation for heaven because the Bible says at the end of the age that everything that is hidden will be revealed. And you know, when you're wearing one of those suits, you can tell everybody you're buff, but an honesty suit's going to tell you exactly what that guy's BMI is like the moment that he or she puts it on. And when I rode Lake Taupo in November of last year, a 160-kilometer ride around the circumference of Lake Taupo, towards the end of the ride, I had a crash, a rather annoying one, rather frustrating one, and a rather expensive one, because anything you break on a bike is going to cost you at least hundreds of dollars. So I banged up the bike, and I, I took, you know, a bit of skin off the body, and had a sore elbow, a little crack maybe, a little nick off the elbow for about two months afterwards. And then in the month that followed Talba, or maybe the two months after Talba, between then and New Year's, I had another two very near crashes, both of them on descents. In the second of these two instances, these near crashes, I was riding the Akataro Ranges north of Wellington. And as I was descending this hill, I was descending quite well. And as I was descending the hill, I went around a corner and the corner broke towards the right So I had to kind of follow the corner around and there was literally nothing on the left. No medium barrier, no no barrier on the side and no land either. Just a fall away bank down to the bottom of the Akatoa Rangers. As I'm coming around the corner, feeling very confident, playing it safe, my rear tire just punctured like that. And as it punctured, then of course, the loss of pressure meant that my rear wheel started to fade out to the back dragging me towards this bank. And the only thing I can tell you is that the crash, followed by two near crashes, it just got in my, in my head. It, it just spooked me a bit. And for the next months, the next period of months as a cyclist, especially when I was descending, I began a new habit. And the habit was to look very, very intently at what was in front of me. I was considering every obstacle. I was just so cautious. There are so many obstacles that you face when you're just a lonely little road cyclist 
with a 23 millimeter wheel, you know, going across the surface. There's, you know, there's debris in the middle of the road. There can be potholes. There can be lines, you know, just painted lines, plus a little bit of moisture, plus a 23 millimeter tire can equal an instant crash. And so I began this, this habit, this, this focus of looking at whatever was immediately in front of me. I wanted to make sure that I was focused that I could see what was there, that if anything did get in my way, that I could navigate myself out of trouble. The only problem was that focusing my attention on what was immediately in front of me completely ruined my cycling. It took my, my talent as a cyclist, my speed as a cyclist, my effectiveness as a cyclist, and it just ruined it all together. I had no lines for corners, uh, meaning that uh, you know when I was approaching a corner because I wasn't thinking about it early enough, I was hitting the corner either too wide or too tight, and I'd come out of the corner either right beside a curb or right beside a median strip where the cars are going in the other direction. I overcompensated for things, jerking the, the bike around, immediately reacting. I slowed right down, which makes it annoying for me and for anyone riding with me. And somehow these incidents began to change my behavior from a correct behavior as a cyclist to a flawed one. I had been a fluid descender, a, you know, an apt rider of a bicycle down a hill. And then suddenly it was like all my habits were broken, nothing was working, and I became this totally different cyclist altogether. Because the way that a cyclist is supposed to descend when they're riding their bicycle is not to look at what is directly in front of them, but they're supposed to look to the end of the corner to look to the end of the corner, to look to the horizon at where their gaze can take them. This causes them to use the road, to, to adapt to changes early, gradually, fluidly. They can keep momentum and stay safe. Because as a cyclist, when you look to the end of the corner, then you head in that direction. If you look to the end of the corner, then where your, your head is, is where your bike is going to go. If you look to the end of the corner, then you see threats like oncoming cars the moment they come into your view, and it gives you the maximum amount of time to react to new situations that come your way. And when it comes to the sport of road cycling, we just finished the Tour de France, the best cyclists in the world are those whose focus is never, ever taken off. They're never distracted away from looking to the end of the corner. When a road cyclist doesn't look to the end of the corner, then they just don't ride well. They overreact to things. Things are always going to be in front of you. Little road bumps, little things, little potholes, little, little, little pieces of debris, little things that aren't quite going right. But when your, focus is not, when your focus is immediately in front of you, then little things that you should really just keep momentum. Don't let them consume you. Don't let them even touch your head. But just go through it and get past it. You overreact to things that you should let go by. When your focus is immediately ahead, then you move a lot slower. I mean, you know, that was my overwhelming reaction was that I was going down hills and it was like instead of going at a comfortable speed, suddenly I'm just moving slow. Not only that, but looking what it was immediately ahead, well, it just plain made me afraid. As a cyclist, I was descending in fear. 
Meaning that I was not only a threat to myself, but a danger to those who were riding with me. When you're riding with a guy who's spooked by things, then he can, he can jerk around, he can do silly things, and becomes a threat not only to himself, but to those who are riding with him. You can bring other people down when you're looking at the road that is immediately ahead. And in summary, if you don't look to the end of the corner, you either mishandle or you move too slow. And you know what, church? In our lives, we were never designed by God to look at what is immediately ahead. We were always designed by God to have the focus of our view, not on what is immediately in front of us, but to look to the end of the corner. God wants you and I in our lives to not just live looking at what's immediately in our now, our current situations, the obstacles in our present, whatever setbacks we are going through, limitations we know today, God's desire for us. We find it here in this powerful verse of Scripture is to look to the end of the corner. If we live focused on the immediate, on what's immediately ahead, then this is what we do. We mishandle our decisions. We overreact to things today. We mishandle decisions. Oh man, of absolute certainty, we move far too slow because we're, we're living being consumed, reacting, and living in what we're in, not knowing that God doesn't want us living in what we're in. He wants us thinking about where we're going and that will help us to move quicker. We transition poorly when we live, focus on today. Man, life is one big process of transitions. Ages, stages, seasons, we're children, we go to school, we go to school, we go to uni, get a job, we get a job, we get married, we get married, we have children, we have children, the children grow up, the children grow up, they leave home. Like life is one endless process of seasons and transitions. And if our focus is on looking at today, then we just don't transition well. And if we want to live the life that God has for us, then we must live looking to the end of the corner. Man, it's not difficult to do this as a believer in Jesus, whether you're in Johobaru, in Whangarei, in Christchurch, in Hamilton, or here in Wellington this morning. It's possible for us to look to the end of the corner because our text says that God has plans for us at the end of the corner. I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. In other words, there is something around the corner for every single one of us. There's a purpose for our lives, a destiny, yeah. Come on, everywhere you're hearing this message, put your hands together and praise God. The God who's got a plan for us, the God who's got a dream in mind, the God who has a future for our lives. God's got a dream for us. Not only does He have a future, but God wants us to see that future. He wants us to grasp that promise. He wants us to come alive with the promise that He has more in store for us. Because the clearer you know where you're going, then the faster you can get there. It's not only in cycling, it's true in life, that when your focus is on the end of the corner, then your transitions are smooth, your, li your lines are clean, your movement is faster. And if you and I are going to achieve even half the potential 
I mean, in the, in the thousands of people hearing this message this morning, there is so much potential to change the world. Not one of us, not one of us is a mistake. Not one of us is without a unique purpose in mind. Every single, oh yeah, come on, praise Him for that. Every single one of us has a divine plan given to us by God, a reason why we are here. And if we're only living our lives focused on the immediate, then the truth is, what I've learned in the last few months of cycling is that what you look at, you head towards. What we look at is what we head towards. You know, the young guy learns this real quick when he's learning how to drive. Sees a pretty girl on the side of the street and quickly learns the lesson that what you look at, you head towards. Amen? discovers not only the girl of his dreams, but also a parked car on the side of the road. Because what you look at, you head towards. You know, in, in life, it's so true. This is how my dad, you know, is in Christchurch this morning, taught us to drive a car. My dad loves good driving. He hates bad driving. You know, you've got to learn to, you got to, you know, when the days of manual cars in the United Kingdom, they still love them for some bizarre reason, but I drive automatics now just to avoid my father's angst. No, I'm just kidding. But... You know, he, he loves double clutching, loves fluid movement. He taught us about cornering, how to keep a car stable, make sure that you got a little touch on the accelerator as you're going round a corner, never be without traction, never move it. And one of the things Dad used to say to us, he said, you, your car is going to go where your eyes are looking. you got to keep your eyes focused on where you want the car to go. He said to us when we were young, he said, son, if a truck is coming the other direction, you're on a narrow stretch of road. Don't spend your time looking. There's only milliseconds. Don't spend your time looking at the truck. Don't even look at the truck. He said, look to the edge of the road. Find the edge. Find how much room you've got to your left and then move that car as far left as you can possibly go. I couldn't tell you how many scrapes, how many challenges, how many narrow roads that that one piece of advice has got me out of. When I'm in a car with a new driver, maybe never had a dad who's told them that. It's amazing how they can just, you know, this this reacting and throwing their lives around, the car around. I'm like, look at the gravel. Get over there. Get right to the edge. Because what you look at is what you head towards. And you know, when it comes to life, it's so true. It's not just in cycling or driving. What we are staring at That's where we're going in life. And many times we're overreacting to the present. We're we're, we're jerking around. We're, we're, We're being tossed and driven and blown and unstable. And the reason why is because we let our gaze shift from the edge of the corner to what is immediately ahead. When we stare in the middle of our now, then we move slow, we underperform, we overreact, we transition poorly. And that's why I believe that God wants us to live for the future now. He wants us to be where we are, but to have our gaze on the end of the corner. That's why this year's Arise Conference is entitled Future Now, because for the last two years of my life, I've been obsessed, maybe three, I've been obsessed by a question. And the question is, where will the church be in 10 years' time? 
That one question has been at the center of our executive meetings in Arise, our staff planning and changes, our, our preparation for new campuses, everything that we're launching into, our investment in technology. I wholeheartedly believe that if the Apostle Paul was alive today, he would have live linked. We've invested in infrastructure, we've changed things, and the reason why is because I believe that God has a great future for His church. Come on in Malaysia, come on Fongaray. You believe God's got a future for His church and give Him some praise, come on. Hey, listen, it, it does go a long way beyond just the corporate plan that God has for His church. He's got a plan for you in 10 years time. 20 years time, a great dream for your life. And all throughout the Bible, we encourage to consider our lives, our steps, our now in light of the future that God has got for us. All through the Scriptures, all through our Christian uh, experiences and history, we discover the God who says to His people, look to the end of the corner. Because the reality is about life, that you can never have a future that you have not planned for. I mean, you will have a tomorrow, but not a better one. There are very, very few examples of accidental success, but normally the pattern of Scripture teaches us that God reveals it into a heart and then He outworks it in a life. That God is looking for you and I to look to the end of the corner. When church planters say to me, and they say to me a lot, they say, John, what advice would you give to a church planter? One of the things I'm always going to say to them is I'm going to say, what kind of church do you want to build? The reason why I ask the question is because the clearer you know where you are going, the faster you're going to get there. If you're confused about the kind of church that you're going to build, then it's going to take you a long time to build it. And by the way, it isn't going to be a lot of fun for others to try and help you with it because you're going to change it. But the reality is about Arise, for 11 years we've been going, and you know what? We have just done exactly the same things for 11 years. You could go into an Arise service when it had 40 people in it, go into it now when it's got thousands in it, and still it would have looked and felt and you know, been basically exactly the same. Because the clearer you know what you're building, then the faster you're going to get there. And in life, we serve the God who says, I know the plans I have for you. In other words, God's a planner. God's a dreamer. God's got a plan. God's got a dream. And knowing His plans will lead us towards them. Because where our head is focused, that's where the body is going to go. When we see His plans, it takes us towards Him. God is the God of the future. God has a hope for our future. Man, when we lose hope for the future, this is when the wheels come off our today. It's so easy in the middle of some challenge, especially if challenge is combined with exhaustion, for our focus to negate the future. We let go of the future and we just get consumed by the now. Happened to the prophet Elijah. Prophets, their job is to see the future, right? Yet the Scripture says about Elijah that after a moment of miraculous encounter, meaning, meaning, that just because today has been successful, we still can't take our gaze off the future. And by the way, if, you, if today is successful or if yesterday was the worst season of your life, never take your focus off the future. Because look at what happened to this prophet, this great prophet in 1 Kings 19 verse 4. The Bible says he came to a broom tree. 
He sat under it, prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. It's up on the screen, yeah. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under a tree and he fell asleep. In other words, when you take your eyes off the future, then you get suicidal, pessimistic, depressed, sleepy. Man, if we're just lethargic in life, wallowing in life, pessimistic about promises, feel like life has got nothing better, then this message is absolutely for every single one of us who feels in that position. Because I can tell you by the symptoms what the problem is likely is. You've taken your eyes off the corner and put it on what is immediately ahead. We can fix the situation just by taking our eyes off the immediacy and fixing our gaze on the end of the corner. Man, our God wants us to live. Yeah, come on, give Him some praise this morning. He wants us to live looking at the end of the corner. God wants to prosper our lives. That's what this verse is saying. He's got plans for hope, got plans for future, got plans to prosper us. He's awesome. Now turn with me to Isaiah chapter 42. Isaiah chapter 42. We're going we're gonna to read in verse 9. Amazing verse of Scripture. See, there's a key verse in this, this message this morning. See, former things have taken place and new things I declare. Before they spring into being, I announce them to you. Hello? See, former things have taken place. All right, you can see what's around you. No prizes for that. That's what the Bible's saying. But even though you can see what's now, God's saying, see what's ahead. New things I declare. And before they spring into being, into being, before they come to life, I show them to you. The next verse, come over to Isaiah chapter 43, verse 18. Isaiah 43, 18. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. Here's that word again. See. Say it with me every place here in this message. One, two, three. See. I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. The Bible says in two passages of Scripture, the same word, see, see. It means to behold. See, I am doing a new thing. See, it means to see it. In other words, God's asking us, what do we see? Because in the first passage, it's saying what already is. I don't want you to see that. I want you to see the new thing. The next one, it says, forget what was yesterday. Stop seeing yesterday. Man, if you want to ruin your future, then spend your life trying to look back. Bible says, forget that. Don't think about it. Forget the former things. Stop seeing the now. Stop seeing yesterday. And then in post both passages, see, see what is ahead. See the tomorrow. What we see today impacts what we will live tomorrow. If we can't see tomorrow today, then to do today will repeat itself tomorrow. But when we see tomorrow in light of what God's got for us, when we're looking to the end of the corner, then man, we can move quickly into the will and the purpose of God. Joshua chapter 6, 
God speaking to to Joshua, when the city of Jericho is barred up, fortified, shut up, and God speaks to Joshua and says, see, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. See it now. See the future now. See tomorrow, today. Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 10, God speaks to a little teenage boy and He says, see, you're a teenager, you're an elevator, you're a young guy, but see, I, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. Don't see today, see the future I've got for you. Know where I'm taking you. And then it says, before they spring into being, I reveal them to you. See, that's God's will for us. Three passages of Scripture this morning echoing the same truth that before God's ever going to do it in the future, He shows it to us today. Future, now. There has to be not only in the life of a believer a life that is lived in the present, but a spirit that is revealing and living in the promises of where we are going. Man, This is not only the truth of these passages, it's the experience of the great saints of the Scripture. It's the way God has always moved in the Bible. God promised to Abraham the land of Canaan, the land, the land on the other side of the Jordan River, maybe 800 to 1,000 years prior to anybody ever being given that land, the promise was alive in his heart. His whole life was a story of living for the future right now. And that's the same will that God has for every person. Noah, 400 years building an ark. But because he built that ark, came the future of the will of God for a generation. And man, if there's one thing God is showing us all the way through His Word, is that we need to access the future in the here and now. And the reason why, this is, so, this is where the message really begins to connect and make sense, is that the spirit of a person is an incubator for the will of God. Where the will of God is grown and developed before it ever comes to fruition is in the hearts and lives of men and women. When God's promise comes alive in our hearts, that's what causes it to come into actuality. Why else? Would God say to Abraham, see the length and the breadth of this promise? And he never even, the only thing he ever owned of all the land God promised to him was a little tract of land for a burial plot for his wife. Yet God caused something to grow in the spirit of that great hero of faith that has led to the entire story of the Bible. And man, I don't know, because some people lose the promise because it's slow in their mind coming to pass. But I'm here to tell you, never let go of the dream, never negate the promise, never lose sight of the future. Keep your eyes on the edge of the corner. Let something grow in your heart. Because what grows in your heart will be lived out in your life. It's in the spirits of men and women where the promise becomes real, where faith is nurtured, where the the promise becomes a point of reality inside of us. Before ever anything is made real in our lives, it lives in our hearts first.
Oh, this is true. Any dreamer in this room knows this to be true. It exists in you before it ever lives from you. I can remember the first time I cognitively knew as a child that God had put a leadership call on my life. I was eight years old, maybe nine, playing soccer at Hebron Christian College in Mount Albert in Auckland. For some reason this lunchtime, I wasn't chosen to be the captain of my team. And the whole lunchtime, I just remember playing on the field. I remember the weather. I remember the day like it was yesterday. The whole lunchtime, I lived with this, with this struggle in my head going, why am I not the captain? Why am I not the captain? How could I not be the captain? My team would do better if I was the captain. And you know, you can say what you want about a child when they exert that kind of strength, but you know what? It was alive in me before it ever manifests itself from me. And God wants every single one of us in Malaysia, in Whangarei, here in Wellington, in Hamilton, in Christchurch. He wants every believer alive with the promise of where He's taking us. Don't overreact to your now. Don't live being fearful because of what you see today. Don't make the same mistakes that I've been making this year as a cyclist. Took my eyes off the edge of the corner and looked at the potholes in front of me. You'll bounce through potholes. You'll come out of this situation. God's got a way through it. Don't even worry about it. Some of the things that we react to, God's just going to take you straight over it. What you think might be taking you out, you're going to roll straight through. Come on, if you believe that, give Him praise this morning. Oh, I believe we will all be amazed at the resilience of the promise to keep us going beyond our temporary challenges if we would just fix our eyes on the end of the corner. The Scripture says here, it says, before it springs to pass, do you not perceive it? See, that's perhaps in both of these passages, these three passages, the central question. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Forget the former, see the new. Before it comes to be, I reveal it to you. Do you not perceive it? That word perceive is also the word to know, to know. In fact, when Mary was talking to the angel about Jesus being conceived by the Holy Spirit inside of her womb, she said, I don't know a man. In other words, I have no intimacy, no physical intimacy with a man. I've never known a man, right? We won't go into any more specifics, but the Bible is saying, man, before it happens, you've got to have intimacy with it. Our promise, our future has to be alive on the inside of us. We've got to know it, become acquainted with it. We've got to understand it. Do you see what I'm saying this morning? We've got to make sure. See, we can become so acquainted with the pain of yesterday, so intertwined with the, promise, with the challenges of today. But God wants us to be alive with the promise of where He is taking our lives. Come on, true? Let's make... Let's make the spirit of every person hearing this message this morning an incubator for the promise that God's got now tomorrow. 
Because the truth is about life that comprehension precedes realization. Comprehension, internal comprehension always precedes the realization of it. We have to know it inside us before we ever live it in our lives. That's why God wants us looking at the end of the corner because where we see is where we go. Where we see is where we know. And where we see is where we flow. Hey, I'm having a shot. We're putting out a worship album. I'm just trying to get in on it. Romans 4.17, God is whacked out. That's what the scripture says. Romans 4.17, we serve the God who gives life to the dead. And when he talks, he talks about things that aren't as though they already were. Difficult to talk to God sometimes. Because God doesn't necessarily talk about today. And it's not like he just talks about tomorrow. When God talks to you, he talks about tomorrow like it's already happened. Gideon's a scaredy cat in a wine press, and when the angel talks to him, Jesus, by the way, talks to Gideon in the wine press, he says, The Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. Really? Afraid of the shadows, hiding in the wine press? But God doesn't speak to us today. He calls things that aren't as though they already were. And that's the challenge Gideon faced, and it's the challenge we face is that when God speaks to us about tomorrow, it can be so big so beyond where we are that, man, it struggled. we struggle to receive it. But faith sings things that aren't like they have already taken place. What hasn't taken place like it already has. Man, God doesn't want us looking at what, what is today. He wants us looking at the end of the corner. The band can come and join me in every place where this message being preached this morning. God wants us living, looking for the future, looking to the end of the corner. This is what living by faith is. Living by faith is about looking to the end of the corner, seeing the plan of God beyond where we are now. This is why Noah built an ark, why Abraham lived in a promise in a foreign country, why Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning their future. Why Joseph wouldn't allow himself to be buried in Egypt, but said, keep me, keep me in a, some kind of container. And then when you leave, take my bones with me and bury me in the promised land. It's why Joshua and Caleb lived when a generation died, because they lived by faith. To live by faith is to live for the future. When you live for the future, you live beyond your setbacks. You live beyond today's promises. Ah, oh, Jeremiah 29, 11 jumps into the Bible when the Israelites had just been led away into captivity by Nebuchadnezzar, hooks in their noses, towns burned, crops destroyed. Cities laid waste, independence gone, slavery, the reality. No matter what's going on in our lives, this promise comes to us. I know the plans I have for you. See it, know it, receive it. 
future. Bring that future. Make it alive in your now. Live for the future. Because the thing about the future is that the future belongs to those who see it. Ours is a visionary faith. The future belongs to those that see it. You know, the last two trips I've been on, I've flown through Singapore and Dubai. Singapore and Dubai. Singapore wasn't even a nation 50 years ago. I mean, Ronnie and the gang, like two kilometers away, five kilometers maybe from Singapore right now. You're from, a, from, from the worst tip of Malaysia, supposedly, poverty stricken, is now one of the most prosperous nations on earth. Just because somebody saw the future. And in 50 years, 50 years has achieved something, a group of people achieved something that you'd never even dream might even be possible. Dubai, a wasteland desert, sure, really, really cashed up. But out of a wasteland desert, a state-of-the-art environment. And we, we are God's children, have access to the God of vision. And God doesn't want us, no matter what our age, stage, season, trial, setback, just living for today. If we do, if we're looking at the road ahead, I can tell you, you'll overreact. You'll live scared. You'll underperform. You'll jerk around, throw your life around become a hazard to yourself and a hazard to others. Still your fears. Say no to those distractions. Fix your gaze relentlessly on the end of the corner and see what the Lord has in store. And here's a promise for somebody, maybe a lot of people hearing this message this morning. You will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. You will see it. If you would like to find out more about Arise Church and John Cameron, go to arise.org.nz or follow them on Twitter at John Cameron NZ and at Arise Church.